The following is a sermon, preached by Pastor Adriel Cruz with World Renegade Church. Being and Making, Week 1. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that would be non-stop in prayer. Because the disciples, those who were following you, you wanted them to pray, God. And even they, they fell asleep. And you, God, were upset with it, Lord. Let us learn from that mistake and know that we are to remain and continue steadfast in prayer. Father, I pray that every word that I speak tonight would cut, God, deep inside complacency, deep inside mixed emotions and feelings, that it would cut inside to the root of everybody in here, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would entangle us tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The verse I just read before we prayed was Luke 9:23, and Jesus is the one that is speaking. And he says something that sounds very broad because he doesn't just say Peter, he doesn't just say John, he doesn't just name names. He says, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, Jesus is speaking, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It says take up his cross daily. Daily. Not once a week, not twice a week, not when you feel impression to do so, but daily. And this was a broad statement. And you know what's good about a broad statement? We can't just say Jesus was talking to a certain group of people because he clearly says, if anyone would come after me. And if you're here tonight, I would assume that you want to follow Jesus. You're here primarily not to sing songs. You're here to really hear the word of God. Of course, we gather with one another, but this is... In other words, the main event of tonight. So, so I can assume that it's safe to say that everybody here wants to follow Jesus and wants to hear about him. Is that right? So we hear about making disciples a lot. I have, especially as of recent, I've heard a lot of uh, hot books that are being sold, discipleship, disciples, uh, discipleship principles, blogs about it, people frustrated about it. Why isn't anyone making disciples? Why isn't anybody doing this? Why isn't anybody doing that? When in actuality, to complain about it means you're not really doing it. You would be so invested into someone's life that you really don't have time to get mad about it. And that's something that the church is guilty of. We hear about making disciples everywhere in the Christian world make disciples hey we gotta make disciples but what does that really look like what does that really mean to make disciples because really according to the scriptures everything let's go back to the ark makes after its own kind 
A giraffe makes a giraffe, right? In that same way, a disciple makes a disciple. You can't make disciples. You can't jump the gun if you yourself are unsure of the fact, or rather you're unsure that, am I really a disciple? Am I really following Jesus? And then again, we can actually use that term and say, because I said it before from the front, man, okay, well, it's not just Christians. Yes, that means follower of Christ. And it's not just believer, but it's disciple. That's what you are. But tonight, according to the words of Jesus Christ, the great discipler, we're going to hear what he says and what he demands, what he commands of disciples and what disciples really are. And the big question tonight for you here is to say this to yourself, am I really a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I really a disciple? A disciple is who you are. It doesn't mean what you do makes you a disciple. It's who you are that makes you a disciple. I want to go back to the premier verse of when Jesus calls men to be disciples. Turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, who's him? Jesus, Jesus has to be, right? The crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. At this very moment, they knew he had something to say. And they knew he actually had some type of authority. Because they were there to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Could someone say he taught the people from the boat? He taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master... We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left 
everything and followed him. Two very hardcore statements made in that last verse. One was he said, you will no longer be catching fish, you will be catching men. And the other is they actually left everything and followed him. God called fishermen here. Okay, Jesus called fishermen. Fishermen weren't the pick of the litter. Fishermen weren't the highest points of society. These weren't the men with the most affluent jobs or rather affluent lifestyles and lifestyles of the rich and famous. They were fishermen. They were ordinary guys. They were ordinary people. Ordinary. They weren't men that were Pharisees who were trained in the very words of God. They, they, didn't, they weren't trained that way. They have learned it, many of them. They learned it, they knew it, but they were fishermen. They weren't teaching in the synagogues. They were ordinary men. Regular men. But yet Jesus had so much of an effect on them that they left everything and followed him. And I am sure it wasn't just because they had a lot of fish in their bowl. This verse here and this, this whole concept of disciples and being a disciple and follower of Jesus is such an overlooked topic. It's always talked about, but it's overlooked. Because our church doesn't know what it is to make disciples yet. And, and to be quite frank, many churches don't know what it means to make disciples yet. Because the impact is not felt. The impact that these men felt in this boat is what led them to leave everything behind and follow him. So they felt something. They felt that cutting that when Peter preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, they felt a cutting. What did the word do to them, church? Those three points. Cut. They received it. And they devoted themselves. They were cut. They received it. And they devoted themselves. But it's, it's so difficult sometimes for us to have those thoughts resonate because we're so cocky, so prideful, so idiotic, so foolish to actually push aside Jesus Christ and yet have an appearance of godliness. We, we want to go to church, right? We want to be a part of the church. Oh, we're, we're on mission. Yeah, we're doing this thing. But these men, they didn't just received the message with gladness and that's it. They devoted their lives to this Jesus Christ. They followed him and they left everything. Following means they wanted to do everything that he said. He was leading them what to do, what to say, what not to do, what to pray, how to see God, how to see the world. Jesus discipled these men. Their lives no longer belong to them. I want you to think of that for a moment. 
that he, these men that he chose, their lives no longer belong to them. That concept of your life no longer belonging to you. Think about that. Think about all the things that you do in your life, your list of to-dos, your dreams. Put them all on your mind. If we had a board here and we wrote down all of the stuff you want to do, all the stuff that you do in your day, can you leave that behind? Can you leave it behind? Or is there a sense of security in what you're doing? Oh, well, I can't leave it behind. I just can't. If these men had that same attitude that we have, no one would be saved. These were the ones who pioneered what we're doing now. They trusted enough. They believed enough to say, I will leave everything and follow him. These men were dead men. They, they didn't live with their to-do lists anymore and their dreams on, on, a, on a platter somewhere that I need to do this, I need to accomplish this. And guess what the most foolish thing is? Sometimes we can say, I'm going to do it for God. I'm going to do it for God. But how many disciples are you making? How are you being obedient to the first half, but you want to move to some higher place, some place that's higher than that. Oh, I want to reach thousands of people. You start with one. Man, I want to, I want to help so many people. I just want to build a home. I just want to feed all these kids. You start with one. So these men, they left everything and followed him. By leaving everything, that signified now that their lives no longer belonged to them, but they were handing their lives over to Jesus Christ. Do you see that trust? It was a childlike faith to say, oh my God, this guy, when he speaks, this man here in this boat, when he speaks, something is happening. Something is real. We can feel something about this man. Enough where they called him master. They weren't slaves of him at that moment. They called him master out of reverence, out of respect. They knew there was something greater. And they knew that he was healing. They knew he had power. And they knew that he wasn't just the regular man that many were thinking he was. Aside from these fishermen. Are, are you all following me tonight? Can someone say this? I want you to think about it. Can you close your eyes and say this? Say this. Their lives, say that. Their lives no longer belonged to them. No longer belonged to them. They were dead men. You want to know the mindset of a disciple? We're talking about disciples. Okay, what do disciples really think? How do they really carry themselves? Well, we can read it. In this letter, just this verse that Paul wrote to the Galatian church. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 
2.20. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's mindset was I was up on that cross. See, we, we always, you know, we're, we're, we look at Jesus and by the, the, ways that, the ways that we use our words, we're saying he was on the cross for us. But he took our sins, our very being, our very core, he took it upon himself. So much so that that concept was grasped so heavily that Paul actually said, I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. You don't, you're not crucified and live. You don't live unless you're Jesus and unless you're trusting in Jesus that you would rise in the sense of afterlife. But here in this sense, I have been crucified with Christ is I am no longer living. He continues to say that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Paul... I've done this before, so I know Paul has done it. You look at your hands, you look at your body, and you say, man, Jesus actually lives here. Have you done that? Have you thought of that? Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who came to actually save the world, lives underneath my flesh. When I trust Him, when I lay it all down before Him, when I believe in what he's done, he gives us his spirit. His spirit is inside of us. So Paul knew that very well by saying, I have been crucified, I am dead. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. What does that mean now? What Paul wants doesn't matter. What Paul wanted to do did not matter in light of the fact that Jesus actually lived now his life. In other words, when you're a disciple, Jesus replaces your life with his. Jesus replaces your life with his. Think about that. We're over here stuck on ABC sin. One, two, three, the, the, the sins, it's hard, it's struggling. What's going on with me? But a disciple says, it is no longer I who live or what I want. I am dead to that. Jesus has taken my place on this earth and he lives in me. You know, People see Mormons as weird because Mormons are so, man, they seem so legit, so serious. Their families, they're bowing down and they're praying before, they're praying lengthy prayers together. Happy people look at them weird. My God, can't people look at us weird? I want people to look at us weird because we do so many weird things to them. The Bible uses this language of the foolishness is what God uses that confounds the wise. We, we get so safe and we get so prettied up and dressed up because we care about what people are thinking about us. But, but we, 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 me, 
We don't understand that this mindset is one that we need to cherish and see as the only treasure we have, and that is that we no longer live anymore. But Christ who lives in me, and watch this, it goes on to say, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? Just by Paul knowing, he didn't see him on the cross. You could say, wow, it's easy for the brothers who saw Jesus on the cross. Sure, I saw him. Paul was way after the fact. So he trusted, he had to have trusted that the Son gave his life. Jesus showed up to him after he died. But he trusted that he died and he rose. So just those two thoughts alone, he loved me and he gave himself up for me. That was all Paul needed to no longer live, but have Christ live in his place. That's all that you need. That's all that we need to know and believe. The problem I think is that we don't believe believe you're going to act out you're not going to slack and, and sit around I'm, I'm i'm stuck i'm struggling because we there's there's this one one phrase and one saying that i despise so much and that is well as christians we all struggle what does that mean that's in response to the fact that someone can't get over a certain sin or a certain thing when Jesus has taken it upon himself, we are not to be mastered by the flesh. It says that in the word. The word also says and teaches us that we are to throw off sin that so easily entangles. What does that mean? You have the power over sin. Sin doesn't, does not have the power over your members any longer because of Christ. But if this concept this truth is not cherished in your soul that he gave himself up for you and he loves you then we're missing the biggest potential power over death and sin that we can obtain the potential power that can change people's lives one reason I, I, I'm drawn to superhero things is because they come to save people in trouble. Everybody looks to a hero. Everybody's sold out at the Avengers in the theater. Why? Because people are, are loving that stuff. They want a hero. But God chose ordinary men, fishermen, fishermen to actually fish for souls. Fishers of men means what it sounds like. The Holy Spirit is the rod. The bait comes out. Whatever God has given you in your personality, in your whatever it is, that can be used as bait. Do you always need bait? Maybe not. Bait's good. The bait goes dangling before someone you know, someone you don't know, and when they bite it, you reel them in. You are a fisher of men, and once you reel them in, 
God can change someone's eternal destination. In other words, you just saved a person through Christ. See, a lot of people can say, well, it's not me who does the saving. But see, Paul used the terminology as well. He said, I become all things to all men so that I might save some. I might win some. Might win some. Might save some. Two different versions. But we're saving people again. We're not the lifeguard. Do you all remember that? I think it was in membership class. You're not the lifeguard, but what are you? The lifesaver, the thing that Jesus looks out, oh, he's drowning. Let me toss out Dania over there. She needs to go speak the truth. She needs to go disciple that person. Oh, someone's drowning over there at work. I'm, Javon, you're, you're the lifesaver. It's up to you. Because guess what happens now? What does fear do? The waves come, the raft moves away, the lifesaver, and someone can no longer grab on that anymore. So this, this verse here in Galatians is not a metaphor. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Wow, that's good, you know, because that means this, that, and the other. It means what it says. It actually means what it says. He's saying, I don't live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. It's not a figure of speech. It's not a metaphor. It's not some type of poetic language. He's saying it because his life has been so changed. That now he knows his life doesn't belong to him. He is living as a dead man. What kind of person you know would get locked up over and over again and actually keep on doing it? He was in places where he was sick. He was locked up, cold. Come on, when you're locked up, especially in those times, it's, it's not even how the jails are now. This is a great hotel now, the way it is. Imagine somebody in chains for, for the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul wanted to make disciples. He wanted to, to build up leaders to then make disciples. Paul, Paul wanted to literally say what he said here. He lived what he said, rather. I am no longer living. I am dead. Therefore, if I'm locked up, if I'm in chains, I will continue on the path that God has for me. And that is what? One to save the world. Jesus came to save the world. So you better believe that those who follow Jesus are intending to save the world. It starts with one life. One life. Oswald Chambers, there's an interesting quote here. And our church hasn't really gone through anything that's show business-like. But I want you to think of this, those who know about this. The show business, which is so incorporated into our view of Christian work today. In other words, the fancy lights, the great programs, all of that which is incorporated into churches has caused us to drift far from our Lord's conception of discipleship. A drifting far of what discipleship really looks like. It is instilled in us to think that we have to do exceptional things for God. We have not. 
We have to be exceptional in ordinary things to be holy in mean streets, among mean people, surrounded by sordid sinners. This is not learned in five minutes. The church at large is really looking at those on the platform who are preaching, who are doing all these great things in all of the world, and then the people want that because they figure that that's how you do it. You may know the truth too, and you still, it just looks so cool. Wow, this woman over here is reaching thousands of people for the Lord. I want to do that too. But Oswald then brings it in to say, we have to be exceptional in ordinary things. We're over here thinking about the high, these big plateaus, platforms in our minds. What's the best way and the best thing? This looks good. It sounds good. This is the way I need to live my life. That's what I need to do great things for God. But he says we have to be exceptional in ordinary things to be holy in Chicago. How difficult is that? You know that. To be holy in this city. To be holy in your house. Are you exceptional in that? Are you seeking uh, you being used of God in your house, at your workplace, in the ordinary things? Not in titles accompanying you to really affirm, like, okay, now I can do good. Now I can be a pastor. Now I can serve because someone called me a deacon on Saturday. No, you're doing exceptional in the ordinary things among mean people. It doesn't take, he says, it doesn't take five minutes to learn that. In other words, he's saying it takes a lifetime to be kind to mean people, to love sordid sinners, sinners who are just out there doing their thing. So our mindsets are totally different from what Jesus originally planned for his followers. I, I, I want to read Luke 9.23, don't turn there again. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let me bring that to you here tonight. If anyone on a Saturday night in Chicago in this office wants to really live, live for Jesus, let him, her, deny themselves. Take up his cross daily and follow him. In other words, you cannot follow Jesus if your cross is not taken up daily. You cannot follow Jesus if your cross is not taken up every single day. And if that sounds hard to you, you're not a disciple yet. I really don't believe that the holiest, most prayerful, most, oh my God, let's do this for the Lord, should just be me, should just be leaders that are given that title, should just be my wife, should just be Anthony who's leading, it shouldn't be. I believe that those 
who would actually say, I really want to follow Jesus. I really do. I need to take up my cross daily and follow him. Let me tell you this. If we miss prayer every day, if we miss, if you miss a prayer, you don't pray for a day. Now imagine carrying the cross that he's talking about. This cross doesn't mean read the Bible every day because the Bible wasn't around. The Bible we have, the 66 complete books, wasn't around at this time. So I want you to think about that as well. We can revert to the fact that, okay, I got to read my Bible. I'm reading a book. I'm reading a book in the Bible. I'm just going through that. I want you to think about the fact that when John is writing the letters to the church, there is no Bible that they can turn to other than the Old Testament that we now have. And even then, not everybody had that. So they were living off the fumes of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? They didn't have a Bible. We do. They didn't have it and they lived it. They discipled others. 2,000 were added to the church. Then 5,000, or rather three or five, there was just thousands of people. Acts chapter 2, and none of them were able to receive a Bible at the doorway. They heard it so much, they heard it, and they believed it so much that they said, this is it. I need to do what these guys are teaching me to do. Because it wasn't just a natural thing they were being taught, they were being taught a supernatural thing. And they saw supernatural evidences of what was being taught. But church, World Renegade, you will not see supernatural things if you are not a disciple. You will not see supernatural things if you just come here to listen to me speak on Saturday. You will see supernatural things when you do the work that is accompanied uh, uh, to a, a lifestyle of a disciple. That's when you'll see it. And our church is going to see it. We will not leave talking about this until we're way too packed in this building. We will not leave talking about this until we have too many guys here on a Friday and too many women on a Tuesday. Where it's literally like, okay, people are really serious about this. God is charging you through me. I am charging you to make disciples. But let me tell you first, be a disciple. Be a disciple first. Move from your belief to action in discipleship. I was speaking about the fact that they were dead to themselves because they left everything and followed Christ. And Paul himself says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Can someone say, I live by faith? But not just the word, the broad word. I live by faith. I just believe things that are not there. No, he says, I, I live by faith in the Son of God, trusting in Him. When someone's about to die in the natural and you know you're going to die, well, let me just talk about me. If I knew I was going to die, anything I had 
I want to give it away. Make sure everybody gets it. Oh, I got a little safe over here with some, with some money. Hey, I want to give it to this person. I know I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to give it all. Would anybody else do that? Most likely leave a will to someone, or maybe some people do that way ahead of time. They don't know they're going to die, but they leave a will because they, they're well off. They, they have money and things of that nature. They get rid of everything because they know they're not going to be able to hold on to it anymore. Like, I'm dead now. I don't have to hold on to anything. Now, I want you to look at your life now and what you do. And look at what you're holding on to. Like, what are you not willing to let go of? I want you to think about it. I'll give you a minute just to think about it. This is between you and God. We're a church. We do things together, but this is between you and God. What do you think you would not be willing to let go of? Could it be a job? Let me give you some help. Could it be a job? Could it be a friendship? Could it be a relationship? Could it be a family member that you just don't want to offend? But you know is not bringing anything Christ-like to your life. What could it be? I want to read one more quote. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this. And she wrote this. She said, We are not meant to die merely in order to be dead. God could not want that for the creatures to whom he has given the breath of life. We die in order to live. We die in order to live. Now I want to say this right now, watch. What we did on Saturday as a church with giving away toys, I heard someone in the church describe it as a high. Actually, two people. It was a high. It was like a high. We were, we were making people joyful, and we were actually giving something to them. And what's more beautiful is this. Many of you paid for it with your own money. Just a little sign. It's just a little symbol of what it is to be a disciple. It's a little symbol. Because you were giving out of the extra that you had. But now imagine giving everything. And if you've given everything at that moment, that's how we are to live our lives. We die in order to live. Our lives as disciples are to be carried the same way of that person who says, I want to give away everything that I have because I know I don't need it anymore. I don't need to use it. I need to give it because I have no use for it anymore. It's time that we live as dead men and women in this church. Dead men and women. One thing that I despise about music and culture, and no matter if it's Christian or not, even in what I do, is that it's, it's, it's always somehow pointing back to you as a person. People are fans of you, the person, and I hate that. And there's no way to avoid that. And it's not, it's not that God hates it, because at the same time, he elevates people, and he even in the scriptures, he talks about those men that are at the city gates that everyone respects, and that's cool. So he does that. He's okay with that. But me, knowing 
that giving my life up needs to be the essence of my disciplehood. It, it, it hurts me inside and I despise it. Why? Because I want to live my life in the way that says this body belongs to Jesus. I can't just do whatever I want to it. I can't just eat whatever I want because our bodies belong to the Lord. That all famous verse you've heard before. Your body's what? Temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Imagine if you would live your life that way. Or a Facebook thing wouldn't bother you. Someone said something, it wouldn't affect you. Uh, someone who you dislike, when they wrote something on Facebook, it wouldn't affect you. Because you're saying to yourself, I'm a dead woman, I'm a dead man. As a matter of fact, let me get off Facebook right now. Everything in this world is the contrast, the counter of the kingdom of heaven. Everything, the music, the, the everything. You, you don't think God knows that? God knows that. God knows that and guess what? God put us here right now in this time. Because when I think about the disciples back then, it seems like, wow, they had it a lot easier. There wasn't this access to all this type of stuff. But they had the issues too. But can you believe this right now? That God has actually built this church because he says we can now reach the world even in the climate that it's in. Can you believe that? This world so drenched with sin, oh I hate it, either sin left and right, but God has trusted us to actually come and devour that sin through Jesus Christ's victory on the cross. And by believing in Him, by trusting in Him, we live as dead men, no longer concerned with the cares of this world, but saying, God, use me, Lord. I want to be a disciple. I want to do what you say. I don't want to just know what you say. I want to actually act it out. I actually want to say it with my mouth. God, I don't know how to express the gospel. So this week, this month, I'm going to express the gospel to myself in the mirror. I'm going to look at myself and who has done that? Do that. I charge you to do that. Learn the gospel word for word. Why? Because you say it back to yourself, it rocks you. But when you know how to express it, that is just one part of being able to spread the healing to the virus of sin. Think about your life as an antibiotic to the evil wiles of sin and temptation. You are the antibiotic. You are the healing mechanism. You are what the body does when there is an ailment. The cells come in, attack it, and fix the wounds, fix the sicknesses. Are y'all hearing me tonight? As hard as I thought this world is, I tell my wife and I just speak about this and I say, man, this world is so hard to live in here. There's sin everywhere, oh my gosh. But we've never thought of the fact that God actually wants to use us and we're actually gonna be stronger than the heavy sin that's in this world. 
you see that, Daniel? I know Daniel just got it. I never seen it that way. That the people in this room, whether you're four foot one or five foot eight or six feet tall, you, ordinary men and women, God wants you to be his disciple. You've cried. You've raised your hands, you've prayed, so I know you believe. Everyone here, I know you believe. But now, are you living like a dead man or woman? Close your eyes here in this place tonight. And I want you to evaluate your life right now. 